This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. Hello everyone, my name is Adam Burgess, and today we're going to be talking about the scientific method. It's basically science. The scientific method is extremely important to understand if you want to keep up with any scientific news you want to keep up with or do any uh, external research or research for yourself. It's really important to understand because it's used in every single publication. Every single bit of research that is done uses the scientific method. And it's been this way since about the 15th or 16th century when Sir Francis Bacon proposed it. It wasn't as popular back then, but it definitely did gain popularity. And it's now used every day all across the world. I felt like this was a good place to start the podcast and to understand the scientific method before we go any further, because it's going to be in the background of everything we talk about from here on out. And I just feel like you you should know it. So the scientific method has been taught to just about every American. If you've taken a high school level biology class or a high school level general science class, you have learned about the scientific method. And if you didn't explicitly learn about it, you used it, whether you know it or not. The issue comes that people don't always remember to use it because it's so absolutely fundamental. It's used, like I said, in every single publication that comes out in today's time. And people don't mention it because it's implied knowledge at this point. If you're going to be either researching scientifically or producing publications scientifically, it's implied that you understand the scientific method, otherwise you wouldn't be there. So the scientific method is essentially a model that scientists use to come to conclusions scientifically and uniformly across all science. It involves seven steps, and we'll go through those seven steps here in a minute. Uh, And those seven steps They should be benchmarks that you're hitting in your research, whether you know it or not, whether they're outlined specifically, they're there. So real quick, let's review the seven steps. Step one is ask a question. You know, you need to develop what you're going to research. Step two is to do background research. You have to do background research because if you're going to try and answer your question, It may be dependent on some other fundamental science that either has or has not been done. And if it hasn't been done, then if you want to go any further with your question, you're going to have to do that science. After you do your background research, you're going to need to construct a hypothesis. A hypothesis is a fancy word for a statement that is essentially a true or false statement. An example would be, uh, 
we suggest that crystalline precipitation will undergo a change of state from solid to liquid above 32 degrees Fahrenheit. That is a statement. It's not a question. It is an exact statement that is testable. And it's a fancy way of saying we think snow melts above freezing, which we know. Step four, you want to construct your experiment. At this point, you're going to design a study or an experiment that you're then going to carry out. And it could be pretty simple or it could be, you know, years and years of research. You're then going to carry that experiment out. And once you have done that, then you can move on to step five. Uh, step four and five can kind of overlap a little bit. If you're running, you know, like a, a graduate thesis, you're going to be doing some experiments and recording observations from some experience, experiments uh, at the same time. So step five would be make observations and record data. It's extremely important that you simply put the data down. Don't look at it. Don't try and analyze it. We'll talk about that later. Step six then would be to analyze and draw conclusions. Um, this is a very important step and it's usually one of your final steps when you're trying your study or your experiment. And then step seven would be to report that information or those findings. So how is this method used in the real world? Well, this is the first thing a scientist learns in their education. Like I said, if you've taken a high school level biology course, you've learned about the scientific method. It's very easily forgotten, and it's very important that you need to come back to those fundamentals if you're going to design an experiment or a thesis. It does have practical use, and it is used in every single scientific publication that comes out to date. In the real world, say you want to research something. Let's look at the steps of the scientific method, and we'll go through how it's done. So like I said, step one, you're going to ask a question. You need to decide what you're trying to find out. Are you looking to answer? That question needs to be extremely specific because every aspect of that question needs to be tested or be testable. If you have a broad question like, why is the sky blue? There's a million publications about why the sky is the color it is. And that's because there is a million different ways and a million different variations that contribute to that color. We won't get into that right now. But again, your question needs to be testable. Another thing a lot of people don't think about is it needs to be within a budget. Science is money, unfortunately. It's really sad, but it's true. Um, some projects get more money than others because they're more sensitive to the public. And that's why it can be really hard to get funding for science, especially if it's something that you can't sell as extremely important to the everyday person. And when you are thinking about you know, a scientific news article or uh, like something in the media about science, and you're wondering, how is this funded? Where is this money coming from? Why does this matter to me? Why is this news? Those are all things to consider when you're thinking about a scientific research or if you're trying to analyze scientific research. What's their budget? How does it affect everyday people? And if it impacts the everyday man or something that someone can really relate to, then it's probably going to get more funding and it's probably going to be a bigger research project and require more technology and so on and so forth. So anyway, if you want to answer a scientific question, is it within a budget that you can afford? Step two would be to do your background research. Has it been done? Has this research or has this question already been answered? If you want a, if you have a pretty simple question, then 
it's probably been answered and all you have to do is go looking for the answer. And if it hasn't been answered, someone has probably mentioned the question before. And uh, I hate to break it to you, it's probably not an original thought. Whether it's been published as an original thought or not is pretty much the soul of producing scientific publications. If you have a thought, a million other people probably had that same thought in the scientific community or in your niche profession, but who's been the first one to publish it? That's the person who's probably going to be credited for it. If the question hasn't been answered, you should probably find out if there's enough supporting evidence to even propose your question. What that means is, say I want to propose Let's take the COVID vaccine, for example. You know, in order to propose a, uh, a drug or a vaccine, you need to be able to pretty much support the fact that you could do this research. You need to be able to sell that, too. We couldn't create a vaccine until we had the genome of SARS-CoV-2. So it's very important to understand, is the fundamentals or is the background, is the supporting evidence there to prove the fact that this is a legitimate question. And if you can't do that, then your your research is probably going to flop. And if it doesn't flop in the beginning, it'll definitely flop at the end when it gets cross-analyzed. So you've asked the question and you have made your question extremely specific and testable. And you have made sure that you can sell your question and uh, support it in a publication. Step three would be to construct a hypothesis and to do that is you're essentially making a statement or a prediction of what the outcome of your experiment is going to be. And that statement needs to be a true or false statement. At the end, once you have gathered all your data and you have tested and analyzed and you're at the stage of pretty much reporting your data, you need to be able to say, is this statement true or is it false? The other thing to keep in mind when you're constructing a hypothesis is it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say that you know, I hypothesize that snow will not melt above 32 degrees. And if it does, it doesn't matter. We've still learned something that snow melts above 32 degrees. There's been times when I've been writing hypotheses and I want to keep editing it so that when the outcome is all said and done, my hypothesis was true. And I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with because they want to be right. And of course, it's okay and it's to, to feel like you want to be right or that you need to be right, but it's important to understand that in science, as long as you can test your hypothesis, whether it be true or false, then you know you've produced a result. So at this point, you formulated your question, your specific question, you've done the background research, and you know that you can support this evidence, and you've then gone on to create a solid hypothesis statement that you can start to sell or test. At this point, you're going to design a study to test that hypothesis. And this is usually what takes some of the some of the longest portion of research is, you know, designing these studies and carrying them out. That's where the time goes in research. You can put the design on paper for an experiment. That's great. That's fine and dandy. But you need to be able to a produce the money to get the supplies and to uh, set it up. And B, you need to be able to experiment in a timely manner and collect enough data that you can analyze it and sell it and draw conclusions from it. It's important to understand that this step four is the meat of the science. It's doing the experimentation. It's 
carrying out the experiment. And it usually takes a fair bit of time, and it's usually the most time-consuming portion of the scientific method. Once you have created your experiment and you started carrying out your experiment or experiments, you can start to make observations and record the data. It's extremely important that you do not analyze the data. Not yet. You need to be able to come to the data from a non-biased point of view to be able to run it statistically without wanting to, to sway the data to give an answer that you want. And it happens. There is bias in scientific publications, although we try really hard to avoid it, it's there. If you're going to read a scientific publication, it's something that you're going to want to keep in mind. So anyway, you want to make observations and record data in it as non-biased as possible. And you don't want to look at it. You don't want to try and analyze it. You just want to put the numbers on the page. And that's where you need to start. And this is pretty important to understand, and it actually correlates with the setup of scientific journals. If you're familiar with them, you've probably already recognized this. If you're not familiar with them, let me fill you in. Scientific journals usually are published, they're articles that are published with specific formats, and each format is specific to the journal that you are submitting a publication to. And if you want to publish in one journal, you have to match the formatting for those journals' uh, specifications. Step five here, make observations, record the data. It kind of correlates to your results section. It's going to be a production of specifically the numbers. You are not making any interpretation from the data. You are not analyzing it in any way. You are simply presenting the numbers as they are. Step six is analyze and draw conclusions. This is the fun part. This is where you get to look at the data and run it through your statistical models and your t-tests or whatever you want to do for whatever answer you're trying to come up with or for whatever question you're trying to answer. This is where you get to say, what does this data tell me? What are the numbers saying? And to me, that's the best part of the experiment. You get to look at the numbers and say, holy shit, there's a story here. There's, there's something going on. This usually correlates to your discussion section of the journal to go back on my previous tangent. Each subheading, like I said, has a specific outline of what it's supposed to include. Step five, make observations, record data, usually correlates to your results section. Step six, analyze and draw conclusions. It can be a discussion section. It could be a bunch of other things. Step seven would be to report. This is also a possible discussion section. It could be a finding section. It could be a conclusion section, depending on the format of the journal. But this is where you say, okay, here's my data. Here's how I interpret it. And this is what we found. This is where you say whether or not your hypothesis is true or false. And again, it's okay to be false. It's okay to have a false hypothesis. The report section or the report step also includes where you're going to start talking about next steps. This is really important. It's something that a lot of people need to remember if they're producing scientific publication or if you're reading scientific publication, you might be wondering, well, why are they telling me this? If science is going to be community-based like it should be, you're going to want to report the next possible steps, because if you can't carry on your research, you might want someone to be able to understand your train of thought so they can carry on your research, or they can take the next step and produce something. It kind of just keeps everyone on the same page as to where is this research going? What's the point of it? Where are we going to go after this? So step seven, you would report your, your findings, you would state whether your hypothesis was true or false, and then you would propose the next steps from there. 
So why do we use the scientific method? We use the scientific method because it keeps science uniform across the globe. Additionally, it produces good science. There are seven clear steps. Everyone does those seven steps, and it allows the research to be analyzed and peer-reviewed and cross-examined once it's published, or prior to it being published technically. It needs to go through a peer-review state. And that peer-review state, like I had mentioned earlier, is if your research is going to break down, it's going to break down there. That's when people who have similar experience to you, similar expertise, similar education, go and they read your research and they try to identify flaws in the research. It's not supposed to be deconstructive in any way. It's supposed to be simply constructive so that people can identify where things went wrong so they can fix it and produce better research in the end. When you're looking for scientific publications, you want to look for those journals that are peer-reviewed because that means that any article coming out of that journal has gone through that extra cross-examination step and it is the best it can possibly be. The scientific method is seven steps used and designed to make science uniform across the globe. It's important to remember those seven steps. Step one, ask a question. Step two, background research. Step three, construct a hypothesis. Four, experiment, design a study. Five, make observations and record data. Six, analyze and draw conclusions. Seven, report. Those are the seven steps of the scientific method, and it's extremely important to remember them or to understand them if you want to understand scientific literature and scientific news. Just remember, the scientific method does have a practical use. It is used in the real world. Whether it's explicitly stated or not, it is used in the real world, and it is how all scientific publications, scientific news is presented. If you've made it to this point, thank you very much for your listening and your participation. The the goal of this podcast is simply to bring more scientific education to the public. A lot of people see science news and it's really, really hard to look through the science news, look through the bias and understand what are they trying to get at producing this science, producing this publication. What does it mean? If you aren't familiar with the scientific world or the scientific method, it's going to be really hard to see through the fallacies of scientific media. Again, thank you for listening. I really wanted to just be able to bring an understanding of science, a general understanding of science to the general population. Going forward, I want to talk about a bunch of different other topics, buzzwords that you may see in science media, buzzwords that might be scary but we're going to break them down and we're going to talk about them so that you can say, hey, wait, I know about that and I don't think it's being reported correctly or I don't think what they're saying is what's actually happening.